Good afternoon, and welcome to the Live Poet Society, where we read aloud literature in the real time and chat about it. I'm your unqualified host, Hattie Rensbury. Firstly, hooray! This month marks one year of the Live Poet Society, and I would like to extend a thank you to everyone who has called in, lent their voice, lent their poetry, or lent their precious time in choosing to listen to the Live Poet Society. For today's episode, we're going to discuss some poetry for children that may be a fun addition to their back-to-school or evening reading. Children's literature is sort of a strange genre for me. Simultaneously heavily criticized and also tinged with deeply rooted affections and nostalgia. It must be hard to be a children's book author. For some people, it is something to infantilize, stating picture books are for babies, or that books for kids just aren't interesting. And yet for others, the genre is a place to go when needing more whimsy or when confronting a topic that is simply too dense, vicious, or difficult in adult literature. Think for just a moment about your favorite childhood book. Was it about magical tree houses, mischievous little girls, perhaps a little boy with a pet tiger? In our most formative years, we're presented with stories and essays and poetry that are meant to encourage growth and hopefully an appreciation for the written word. We use children's books to tackle social issues, bring joy, and provide opportunities for empathy. Children's poetry is even more strange of a genre because it can be really quite broad. When researching this episode, I was frankly very surprised at the vastness of the concept of children's poetry. Is it a picture book with an A-B rhyming scheme considered poetry? Yes. Is the book written in prose that is stylized as verse? Also... Yes. Everything in between? Yeah, that's all children's poetry. So when you're looking at books for children to read and you're typing in children's poetry, you may come up with some surprising answers because it's so broad. Some of them might be picture books and some of them might be more chapter books or more of an anthology format. And that's something to be aware of when you're looking for that sort of content because it can also vary according to what age group you would be curating it for. Popular poetry for children when I was growing up included the works of Dr. Seuss, which has motifs that have now become so common that you can hear them and their cadence referenced in contemporary music or satire. One notable example that I love is by a guy named Wes Tank, and you can find his videos on YouTube where he wraps Dr. Seuss's fox in socks in the style of Dr. Dre. It's a great example of how the literature we read as children can combine with the poetry and beats we enjoyed as teenagers and adults. And it's also a great example of the kind of things people were driven to create in the midst of 2020's initial lockdown when we were all looking for comfort or hoping to comfort others. More common poetry presented to children includes the works of Shel Silverstein. Please raise your hand if you had to read Where the Sidewalk Ends as a student, or if you checked it out from the library as a kid. Raise your hands. I thought so. His other works included A Light in the Attic, The Giving Tree, and Falling Up, often with really wonderful, either monochromatic or colorful illustrations in addition to them, which have frankly helped to define a part of the poetry genre that comes with illustrations for children, adults, or young adult readers. It's very interesting to see how that has helped shape the poetry anthology genre in regards to how it's paired with illustrators and comic artists. Silverstein's work is characterized by an overall lighthearted tone with occasionally biting word choice. 
He was notably a little snarky in his writing when it comes to sibling rivalries or some rather ornery topics. Um, with poetry that often had reasonable lengths to keep the attention of children who are just starting to read or to provide amusement for older children. These were not long essayist style poems with a lot of different verse or tons and tons of pages. They're very short in some cases and moderately um, put in length in others. And I think those are more inclined towards people who want more of a dose of poetry rather than um, something longer, more in depth, um, more of a snippy narrative is sort of what he delivers, which absolutely has its place and is tons of fun to share, especially with younger children who are just starting to grasp the concept of poetry. There are also plenty of arguments for using rhyming when teaching kids to read, as it has been suggested that rhyming can improve memory and cognitive development around fundamental patterns in language. It can help to build confidence and foster positive associations with reading. Some teachers even use familiar nursery rhymes prior to state curriculum standards as a method for scaffolding children into reading. The variety of poetry formats that can appeal to children are also incredibly vast when it comes to giving them opportunities to write their own or just to read and better understand the way that, you know, adults and older children may converse or the way that music works because a lot of lyricism is based in traditional poetry conventions. Some of these poem types have visual elements, like the illustrations that Silverstein was often associated with, but some of them are the visual elements, like concrete poetry that often creates shapes and scenes with the letters. Um, there's also a form of poetry called calligraphic poetry that is a similar concept in more of a cursive, um, handwritten style. Local artist and illustrator Larry Day sometimes has a few of these published in the Soper Sun. You can find a lot of really great examples of concrete and calligraphic poetry all over the internet. They're super funny in a lot of cases, very entertaining, not the way you would expect those letters to be used. And in more cases than not, it's a great way to teach a change of perspective. Another way to teach that change in perspective when it comes to word choice or visualizations are acrostic poems, um, which are those poems where you have a word going down vertically and then you add text starting with the letter on that left column moving to the right in a row as the sentences. I definitely recommend you Google this one for a better visual because I can't paint it for you over the radio, but they're a really fun way to kind of get a better understanding of moving your brain out of that only horizontal nature that we often end up in when we're writing, especially in um, Western cultures where we tend to write from top to bottom, left to right. Uh, it's so, so easy to get our brain stuck in something particular. And if you are struggling with getting your writing mojo back or getting your artistic mojo back, this might be a method that even as adults or as people who may be professionals, in order to get that sort of creativity more in line with where you want it or a change in perspective, it can be a really, really cool tool. 
Haikus are especially fun to introduce to children because for older children, they can be a fun challenge to create and often have relatively simple rules. Many people ascribe to the 575 pattern that only has three lines, which is its own sort of joyful challenge you can do anywhere. I remember learning how to do these as a kid and we would take a field trip or we'd be asked to do one over the weekend where you talk about some place that you've been because I think a lot of people associate haikus with nature poetry, which is very fair. There's a lot of really great haikus that are considered to be nature poetry. Um, and you can use those as sort of a brain teaser and a challenge for people to better understand their syllables and their syllabic breakdowns of words. And it can be a lot of fun for kids to try that out as long as they feel like they have the safety to do it. Another part that I think is important to talk about is the invention of two-person poems. Now, it's not necessarily like a different character's perspective, which is also very common in poetry, but two-person poems are this really cool genre that's developed where you can have two people read a poem, and it doesn't have to be a dialogue, but it can be a tone shift, and it can be a topic shift. So we had one of those when I was a kid, and it was a really great tool for getting kids interactive experience with reading. So it doesn't just feel like they're reading to you or you're reading to them and somebody's falling asleep. Um, it's an opportunity for people to engage with the children in their lives and to encourage their reading by making it something they can do together and something that they can experience together and have as more of a dialogue, which for some kids is much more enticing than having to read poetry out loud to a parent or vice versa. Um, some kids just learn better when it's hands-on experience or when they feel like they are not alone. And I think that can be said for a lot of us, even as adults. And um, these two-person poems are really, really fun. There's quite a few different uh, books that include such poetry Definitely recommend looking those up, um, especially if you have children who are learning to read or children who uh, have that playful nature that really like to be involved with who the people who are helping to foster their reading skills and their, you know, hopefully future love of literature. There's a lot of silly poetry for children. It's great. It helps to make the genre more accessible and it helps to make them feel like reading isn't a chore. And as much as I think that's important, I didn't pull any of that today. The books I've chosen today are a little less of the silly, nonsensical, whimsical vibe that you might find in a lot of children's poetry. You'll find it with Shel Silverstein, you'll find it with um, Dr. Seuss especially, with the wordplay. It's really fun to do and can help kids with pronunciations and rhyming and um, different consonant sounds, but that's not what we're focusing on today. Studies have shown that children are more likely to read when there are subjects that they're interested in or subjects that they can discuss with their parents. Children are also more willing to read when they see their parents reading. So some of these topics that we're dealing with today in these particular poetry anthologies have to do with topics that adults would be talking about around the dinner table. Um, not necessarily in a way that children can't digest or isn't safe for them to understand, but something that kids can really get a better understanding of what their parents are worried about and what they're discussing. The poetry anthologies today that we are talking about include uh, perspectives as a refugee and as an immigrant, perspectives as someone within the contemporary world that we live in, 
that has to do with um, ecology and have to do with how much waste and how much trash we throw away, um, and also the concept of mindfulness. So when kids see their parents reading a book about wastefulness or uh, zero waste movements, low waste movements, trash in general, maybe this is something that they would want to pick up. Or maybe when their parents are talking about how often, you know, these sorts of topics like being a refugee or being someone who moves to a different country, that can be really difficult. And for children who have either experienced that or who want to empathize with their peers, these kinds of books can be extremely valuable in getting a better look at what their classmates might be going through or finding some amount of um, solidarity with the author, even through the difference of decades in how they were written or what the author's experiences were, some of these concepts and themes may still ring true. And that's the cool part about introducing children to literature is understanding how to show them that this is an entire extra fictional or non-fictional or historical world and segment of the human experience that they now have access to now that they're able to read. It's really, really cool. So, Today, we are going to start with a book called Castaway, Poems of Our Time by Naomi Shihab Nye. Now, this poem book is all about um, Naomi Shihab Nye's fascination with garbage. She has an entire portion in the beginning of the book in her um, uh, pro, uh, in her pre prequel prologue her chat beforehand where's that word in her introduction um about her fascination with garbage and the concept of garbage and the different words you can use to describe garbage and it's very topical for the world that we live in and very topical to the way that kids are looking at the world now where we say oh you have to recycle things but you can't recycle that oh the landfills are filling up how do we deal with that and all of those fears and concerns that People might not have explained to their children, but they're hearing them anyways. So maybe are worth introducing them to more of the concept. So we'll start with uh, this one that I thought was really interesting. Look at me, look at me. Old political signs fade outside voting centers till they bend over at the waist, let loose from their legs. A man who ran for mayor last time around drifts into your front yard. It's short, it's sweet, it has a really great mental visual of this campaign sign just flying away, the same way that you would see it in any small town or any neighborhood throughout the country. And things like that are relatable for children, even though they might not know who the politician is or care, they know what a political sign is and they can understand the visual that's being created. They've seen it. This other one is a portion of her other poem, Leavings. This is portion number four. A boy took the bits of trash he found on a walk and dumped them in the yard, arranging them as one person's story. First, the man lost his sandpaper. His baby was sucking on a blue pacifier, which is kind of like a baby's cigarette, but the baby lost it when they crossed the street and cried very hard. The mom was eating a fried cherry pie, the little girl lost her spelling homework with dust and trust on it. And here it is. See? Too bad. She was a good speller. 
They all dropped their bus transfers in a big wind and read this torn-up newspaper to find out what to do next. That particular segment struck me as something that really, truly fits with the way that children will make up their own stories because they're encouraged to engage in imaginative play and finding these sorts of things. One man's trash is now another man's another kid's treasure and he gets to create a story out of it. And that is very much part of the experience that I had as a kid and probably more than a few of you as well. And is something that I think a lot of children reading the poem would find to be either interesting or enjoyable. The next one is called Pine Cones. In a California redwood forest, breath feels bigger than all people. A note older than our ancestors, memory stirred by rustling, we will survive. Hold a little beauty during difficult times. Quiet feels round as a planet. Surely a bigger quiet holds us all. Here is the queen of the pine cones, standing right against her own tree, full pride. It's fine not to know how to solve everything. It's still a room to sit in. This one was really interesting for me because it's written similarly to how you might see nature poetry written for adults, but it's still in a children's book and it, it just goes to show the similarities that we have between our narratives and the narratives for children and how very little is different between the two and how much we can learn from each other's sorts of narratives. This one doesn't sugarcoat things. It talks about difficult times and it talks about a bigger quiet, which is more of an existential concept. And I really love the line, it's fine not to know how to solve everything. It's still a room to sit in. That addressing of uncertainty we often see in adult literature or it's something that people find a lot of comfort in when they're adults. So why not start those sorts of affirmations with children because they need to know it just as much as we do. The next poem that I'd like to read is Little Boy and Green Trash Truck. This is another one about imaginary play that I just so deeply enjoyed. He wads Kleenex into balls, plucks a knot of cat fur from carpet, a penny, stuffs it into his truck's open back door, then roars, vroom, 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 crawling along the floor, power and joy and pride as the real trucks rumble through the streets, swinging around corners outside. A poem like this is a really great opportunity for sound effects. I don't know about your kids or about the kids in your life, but as a child, I really enjoyed when people added sound effects when they were reading books. And now as an adult, I tend to do it myself as well. And it's something that can really enhance the experience, especially for people who may not have that sort of internal uh, narrative playing in their head, that internal visualization. It may be just what they need to get a better picture of what's being said in the story and what's important and to better understand the setting that this character is in. Plus, they're really fun. They're really, really fun to do. And that's part of what literature is about, having fun and being able to relate to people or being able to relate to these concepts and learning something new. Another poem on this list is called Maui. A man walking a pig on a leash asks if I would like to feed her. Uh, sure. I kneel. He pours Cheerios into my hand. Lily Koi has a wet snout and soft lips. 
She's a very friendly pig, nuzzling gently, gazing up at me for more. He says, Lilikoi is mellow. I can tell. She's not trashy or messy at all. Great. Many people think pigs are dirty, but look how clean she is. Perfect. This is one of those poems that I just really enjoyed because it talks about that juxtaposition between what we think and what we know and what we experience. And I think not enough people talk about that on a daily basis because so very often we're confronted on a regular basis with how the world might be different than how we think it is or how people might be different than we think they are. And allowing children an opportunity to understand that concept while they're still children, can be so valuable. Okay, the next book we're going to move to is called Inside Out and Back Again. It's a Newbery Honor Award winner. Um, and the, I apologize for butchering this name. The author's name is Tana Lai. And this is the one that talks about themes of being a refugee and being, um, you know, someone who is part of a certain time in history. This one is called 1975, Year of the Cat. Today is Tit, the first day of the lunar calendar. Every Tet, we eat sugary lotus seeds and glutinous rice cakes. We wear all new clothes, even underneath. Mother warns how we act today foretells the whole year. Everyone must smile, no matter how we feel. No one can sweep, but why sleep away hope? No one can splash water, for why splash away joy? Well, today, we all gain one year in age, no matter the date we were born. Tet, our New Year's, doubles as everyone's birthday. Now I am ten, learning to embroider circular stitches, to calculate fractions into percentages, to nurse my papaya tree to bear many fruits. But last night I pouted when Mother insisted, one of my brothers must rise first this morning, to bless our house, because only male feet can bring luck. An old, angry knot expanded in my throat. I decided to wake before dawn and tap my big toe to the tile floor first. Not even mother, sleeping beside me, knew. This one is so specific. It tells a story that this author really dove into and gives such strong visuals and smells and textures that you can tap into and is such a great example of this author's voice. And that's an important part of this conversation about children's literature, right? Finding ways to display your own individual voice, even when you're writing, is something that we're encouraged to do when we write as children and is not so encouraged when we write emails and things as adults. So finding that or refinding it or preserving it is also something that people might want to connect with. The next poem from this book is called Papaya Tree. It grew from a seed I flicked into the back garden. A seed like a fish eye, slippery, shiny, black. The tree has grown twice as tall as I stand on tippy toes. Brother Koi spotted the first white blossom. Four years older, he can see higher. Brother Vu later found a baby papaya the size of a fist clinging to the trunk. At 18, he can see that much higher. Brother Kwong is oldest, 21 and studying engineering. Who knows what he will notice before me? I vow to rise first every morning to stare at the dew on the green fruit shaped like a light bulb. I will be the first to witness its ripening. 
This is another great example of nature poetry that is more than accessible for children and is also so richly written with so many great visuals and so many great moments of cadence and moments of rhythm in the way that it's written. It's such a joy to read from. Um, you would have to take a look at the page, but the way that it's organized is really, really fun. We're going to do one or two from the next book, which is the book that is My Thoughts Are Clouds, um, Poems for Mindfulness by Georgia Hurd. This one also has some illustrations by Isabel Roxas. Um, it's got some really, really fun illustrations on every single page. Cute ones and silly ones and loud ones. And they just add so much to the experience. A lot of these poems in this book are so visually focused in the way that they're shaped and in the way that they're laid out that it would be impossible to show you exactly what they're like without actually showing you the book itself. But the best way I can describe it is some of these are about mindfulness practices, types of breathing, or ways to express yourself in certain ways that kids might not be aware of. So if you're interested in mindfulness, maybe your kids will be too. Let's do this one called In and Out Breath. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in kind. Breathe out unkind. Breathe in quiet. Breathe out noise. Breathe in hope. Breathe out fear. Breathe in joy. Breathe out worry. Breathe in love. Breathe out hate. That one would also be super, super fun to read with your child, with one of you reading one column of those prompts and the other reading the second column. Just a thought. Um, there's some other fun ones in here. Again, there's so many illustrations that help with the visual aspect of these, but they don't necessarily need them. My Inner Weather Report. Yesterday, a fierce storm blew in with bolts of lightning and thunderclaps. Pitch black clouds hovered overhead and it poured all day long. Today, I feel sunny, with gentle breezes and no clouds at all. I'm learning to take my inner weather report and notice my feelings as they come and go. Again, the joy of children's poetry and children's literature is that it can assess discussions that might be hard for people to have without some amount of background. And part of that is a learning your emotions and learning how to feel them and how to address them, which is something that every kid has to do and can be somewhat difficult. All right, that's that for the poetry reading right now. Another reason why I'm highlighting poetry for children today is because we are yet again in back to school time. Over the summer, kids can experience what is often referred to as the summer slide, this is a reading ability loss that happens when children, especially those from lower-income families, stop reading on a daily basis because they aren't in school. Much of the time, it's simply because they're not required to read during daycare or families spend time together in different ways when school is out. Either way, there is a marked difference in student reading performance if children are not involved in a summer reading program, similar to the ones at our own local library districts, or if families are unable to incorporate reading time into their summer schedules. Poetry, 
like for adults, is a great way to take a bite-sized approach to reading with a child on a daily basis. The state of Colorado's Department of Education recommends that children read four to six books over the course of the summer in order to avoid that summer slide. With poetry, that can mean so many different things. It can mean classics collections for children like those of Emily Dickinson, childhood nostalgia books like Love That Dog by Sharon Creech, or contemporary collections like the ones we just read together today. The Andy Zenka Youth Empowerment Program, housed here in KDNK Studios, also has a collection of poetry written by children and recorded by them. Sometimes the most daunting part of learning to write or enjoy poetry is simply finding examples that are attainable or on subjects that you or the kids in your life are passionate about. At the end of the day, poetry is just another tool to get kids involved in reading, which can be such an important skill throughout their childhood, especially when it comes to things like state testing or just in general comprehension and writing skills. Or if they decide they really like reading, then it opens the doors for them to try a lot of different genres and styles that they might not have thought they would be interested in before. The best way to get kids to read more is to find something that they love. Find them whatever it is. It doesn't matter. Something that they really, truly enjoy. Schools, libraries, and various groups throughout our valley and the nation can provide affordable and attainable access to books for all ages. You can visit websites for those sorts of entities to find a program that works for you, as finding books that are meant for kids in different phases of life can be difficult and, frankly, expensive. Thank you for listening to the Live Poet Society. I hope you enjoyed this episode here on KDNK. Now go read some poetry with some great kids in your life.